0: Hello, and welcome to the Shifting Culture Podcast, in which we have conversations about the culture we create and the impact we can make. I'm your host, Joshua Johnson. You can go to ShiftingCulturePodcast.com to interact or donate. Well, I'm excited to share this episode with you. Today, we get to talk to Liam Burns. Liam and his wife, Rachel, work in a township in South Africa with All Nations, walking with others over the long haul to bring about kingdom life. They also serve the Center for Christian Formation and Discipleship, which is a part of YWAM's University of the Nations. Well, every time I get to talk with Liam, I come away from that conversation with a desire to live more intentionally with Christ. So I hope this conversation will do the same for you. Here's Liam. Liam, welcome to the podcast. I'm excited to have you here. It's going to be good.
1: Yeah, thanks. Thanks. Delightful to be with you,
0: Joshua. Well, any excuse to to talk to you. Um, we haven't gotten together uh, for a, a couple of years, and we need to get together more often. So I need to talk to you. So this is good.
1: Yeah, great. <laughs> glad, glad glad we can do it on on this, if not in person for now.
0: Yeah, just make it public. You know, just have a just a, a good <laughs> conversation uh, publicly. Yes. Um, you know, you've been in South Africa uh 10 years now is that right
1: uh it's almost 12 i think 12 so. years
0: wow 12 mm-hmm. years you know as you're mm-hmm. you're looking back on on that journey moving from from Scotland to South Africa you have these these big ideas and exciting things you're thinking about you know what does it look like for for the kingdom to advance in in this place in South Africa um and you actually get there 12 years of a, a reality of living cross-culturally uh, in a place working specifically in a a localized area what are some of the things that have caught your attention in the last 12 years that was unexpected when you first arrived
1: yeah well I think you know when we when we arrived here uh I, I at least uh had kind of a a head full of a Western education, which I'm very <laughs> grateful for, but it also kind of, uh, teaches you to over, uh, anticipate your ability to change the world just with your good ideas or, <laughs> right. you know, fantastic solutions that nobody has ever thought of before. And you, <laughs> you suddenly come into contact with reality. You know, I was, I was in my early twenties and so, uh, all my enthusiasm, you know, made up for my lack of experience. But I, I think, uh, over these 12 years, I think we've really realized, uh, you know, that the foundational uh, beauty of life and ministry is, is getting to uh, walk a road with people mm. and to uh, commit to them faithfully through the good and the bad, um, just like Jesus has done for all of us. Yeah. And uh, I think, you know, we have uh, ideas and ideals uh, that so often can uh, get in the way of us really investing in the person in front of us. Yep. And so, um, you know, I, I still have a lot of ideas and a lot of ideals. I haven't <laughs> lost hope in those areas, but uh, I recognize, you know, the most world transforming thing we can do is is to really meaningfully love the person in front of us. Mm. Uh, and, and you know, Jesus tells us that that is uh, uh, part of the, the greatest commandments, you know, is to, is to love your neighbor as yourself. And I think that call to love um, is is often not as romantic and and uh, easy to made into a movie as we might think you know it's yep. costly and uh you know t- to love is to risk and uh, we we risk our hearts and emotions and hopes mm. uh on one another and and god's work in each other and uh, that can be that can be difficult but yeah. in the midst of uh, those difficult times i think you you see uh something transcendent breakthrough you know by the holy spirit to really uh yeah continue to give hope continue to trust that god is at work and and to really see the uh the beauty in the person who bears god's image even if they do it kind of uh in a broken <laughs> failing way you know you just yeah. keep seeing the wonder of who they are um and i think you know working you know we work in a, a township environment here which is uh you know a difficult place to live honestly it's a uh, yep. you know a contested and challenging space both um financially but also relationally for lots of reasons you know people have moved from rural contexts into a very compressed urban environment and that that just creates a, a world of challenges for people to navigate mm-hmm. um, and I think getting to walk alongside people as they uh, go through that and uh, seek to uh, give them hope but also receive hope from their lives you know the way that God gives them a the gift of trust uh, that can be really a witness to us. And I, I think that's the other thing we really feel like we've learned, that um, you know, discipleship is this consistently two-way street. It doesn't matter if mm. somebody's been following Jesus just for you know a few days. Yeah. Uh, they, they can actually, the Spirit of God in them, can just well up and give them extraordinary insight. And I think um, it's a little cliche to say, but w- we feel like we've learned as much from our friends here in Massapumalele as we ever have hoped to give away. Yeah, uh, and that's truly been a gift. It's not. That's, it's not a cliche. We we really truly feel that way.
0: Can you can you give me an example of, of somebody you've been walking with that have, have poured into you as you've poured into them?
1: Yeah, you know, uh, as you'll be familiar with, you know, we we uh, spent many of the early years here just reading the scriptures with people um, who weren't yet believers, you know, mm-hmm. and and uh, and just trusting that the Holy Spirit would give insight. And and uh, and sometimes I would say, you know, it was really. Uh, uh, kind of quirky, kooky stuff that came out that I think, well, this doesn't really <laughs> line up with the tradition of the church, which I'd been kind of somewhat educated in before I came here. Uh, but, but almost as often, if not more often, you know, there would just be these insights mm. into the dynamics, you know, of a story in the Gospels uh, that uh, a local closer person would would uh, mention. And I just would think, I've just never seen it that way. and <laughs> And I realized so much of, my Western cultural background had um, taught me to think in very individualistic ways and very right. um, kind of inwardly focused ways. Uh, and, and I started to realize that uh, yeah, my friends here in South Africa actually had much more in common culturally with um, the space and time that mm. Jesus was living in. <laughs> and therefore they intuited so many of the things that were happening there in ways that just, um, yeah, radically reoriented my own approach both to the scriptures, but also to discipleship and my own faith uh, entirely. To to realize how irreducibly relational the whole thing is.
0: Mm. So, how do you think that you know we in the West can can actually take our blinders off and see things from another perspective that take away our subconscious, uh, you know, biases that we have that we don't, aren't even aware of that. We're not seeing something. Um, how can we reorient ourselves so that we could see it from different angles?
1: Yeah. You know, one of the things that is true of, you know, the time that uh, Jesus walked around the Middle East and is is true for much of Africa now is that people live uh, together and uh, they, they kind of live their lives openly uh, whether they wish to or not before one yeah. another, you know, it's very hard to have secrets in uh, in, in these kind of compressed environments uh, that live so um, relationally. And I think, you know, for us in the West, uh, our, our definition of success is, you know, a, a bigger house with more distance from our neighbors, you know, a bigger right. yard yeah. or uh, a second car so we don't have to get on the bus or something, you know? And so uh, we've, we've kind of seen those as the markers of our success mm. uh, when actually, Uh, Often what they do is just um, create a much more difficult individualism where, you know, if we look at statistics in the West, there's there's so much um, anxiety and depression uh, and and suicide even. And I think these are um, the fruits of a culture Mm. that has forgotten how to uh, connect and belong. And I think, you know, uh, the social media and the Internet is is contributing that. There's lots of goods to those things, but I think they've all created much more distance. uh, In relationship, and so I think uh, you know, church community, as difficult as that has been for so many people in in recent history, um, both you know with COVID, but even even the pressures of living in a church community with a Western sense of privatized religion, and you know, yeah. this is my business and not yours, <laughs> you know, those things really make it difficult to uh, live openly, and therefore to to live the type of lives that we're invited to through the Gospels, mm-hmm. and I think. Uh, that's that's one of the things that uh, our friends here really taught us is that um, life happens alongside one another and um, we're often searching or hunting for stories or quick outcomes or like, yeah. let me apply this strategy and then this outcome will happen within this kind of, you know, short time period. Uh, but you start to realize when you, you live in relationship with people that none of our stories are up and to the right, like a nice Excel <laughs> bar graph, you know, yeah. like all of our stories have ups and downs and, and God promises to be with us in the midst of all of those things. And, uh, and and our friends certainly have um, sufferings as well as victories. Uh, and they really showed us how to walk alongside one another and, and they've walked alongside us in difficult periods in our own lives. That has been an extraordinary gift. Wow. And that's getting a lot harder in the West, I would say to, to really walk closely with people. Even if you choose it, it's, there was a lot of cultural uh, kind of pushback against it. You have to be extraordinarily intentional these days.
0: Yeah. You know, especially because most church experiences in the West are you're driving to a location. It's not something you could even walk to. You're walking to or driving to a building that you get together, you see somebody once a week and then you leave. Maybe you have a small group where none of the other parts of your lives intersect with one another, but you get together once a once a week and, and talk about your problems, study scripture, mm-hmm. and then leave, and you never get to be with one another. Um, do we need to do something to open ourselves up to uh, our neighbors, people that are really in close proximity to us that could help us in our sense of of attachment and belonging to one another as we're walking out our faith with Christ.
1: Yeah, you know, it's uh I've been kind of really fascinated by um the, the Benedictine monastic tradition. They have a series of uh virtues and, and commitments that they make when they enter that tradition and and one of them is uh stabilitas which is stability. Mm. So it's a commitment basically to not move um mm. a, a, until the Lord kind of speaks to you. But uh, I, I I would say that much of Western culture is very fluid, and we've experienced, yep. you know, the great privilege of traveling uh, and getting to move. And again, uh, it, the the Western definition of of success is to, you know, start with a small house and then move into a better neighborhood and a yep. bigger uh, house. And 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 so many people are moving within their lives. Uh, more times than any other person in, in history, you know, com- compared. And I think that's creating extraordinary stress and disconnection mm. on people, which which again are things that really inhibit our ability to know the goodness of God in our everyday lives. Mm. And, uh, you know, one of the things that we, uh, one, a small example of that, you know, we had during the, the recent South African lockdown, yeah. uh, where we were literally uh, legally confined to our own homes and gardens. And so uh, we live in a small town just down the road from Maspumaleli where we've worked and we weren't able to go there. And in South Africa, lots of uh, these predominantly white neighborhoods, um, I kind of always uh, uh, joke, half joke that, um, you know, the houses are built like private prisons, you know, it's like, <laughs> and if you live in a prison, you've got to ask yourself whether you stole something from someone, but yeah. <laughs> um, in, the, in these contexts, you know, so, it became so hard to meet neighbors uh, in ways that, uh, we, you know, we were meeting hundreds of people, we, had, we always used to say, we've got so many friends in Maspumalele, and we've hardly met uh, anybody in our in our street, yeah. let alone our town, you know. And so uh, the lockdown afforded us this kind of stability, where we literally couldn't leave our house for you mm. know, uh, uh, like, it was like six or uh, seven weeks, maybe more. And uh, in that time, Uh, we started uh we started a a a semi-illegal uh gathering where we basically all of our neighbors we we would go and sit on the verge of our house by the road you know which is still (laughs) kind of like our feet uh, our bums are on the grass which is (laughs) legal and our feet are on the road which is illegal and uh you know we just took a little glass of white wine which is uh, a great thing to enjoy in south african summer and uh we kind of sat there and then uh, five o'clock. We did it every couple of days, and we have some close friends just down the road here, and they did the same thing. And soon, all of our neighbors were coming mm. out
2: because wow. they kind of
1: be peering out yeah. of their windows, you know, <laughs> seeing us sitting out there and talking and joking across the road. And, <laughs> and so, uh, by the end of the time, it was it was a you know it was a community date you know everybody was coming out at five o'clock and we learned everybody's names and a couple of our neighbors had babies during that time wow and, you know we saw them go to the hospital on yeah. the lockdown <laughs> and come back and find out the names and the gender and and so uh i i recognized you know just staying still for a period and you know we've lived in this town 10 years yeah and uh and it took that stability uh, and that extraordinary circumstance to, mm. to really meet our neighbors in ways now that um you know we really feel a sense of connection to them and we know some of their stories and their names and we, you know, can, can borrow sugar and (laughs) all those sorts of good things, neighborly things to do.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's important. That stability is really key. I think to be able to, to go the long haul with other people. And I think, you know, a lot of the the most significant times with Jesus's disciples and Jesus and his disciples the people that he walked with were on the road and on the journey mm-hmm. and while they were were together walking they weren't the big the big ministry moments mm-hmm. um but they were the small intimate moments between Jesus mm-hmm. and you know, the people that he was walking with on the road. What I I see is that it really says that we really have to know one another uh, at a deeper level. I've tried to to know myself um, recently, like getting to know myself. Like, I haven't really gotten to know myself before. And, you know, without knowing myself, others can't really know me, who I am. Mm -hmm. So what does it look like to open yourself up to one another to truly know one another so that we can we could transform in a way that is you know looking more like Jesus than putting on a performance or a show yeah
1: I mean I, I think the great promise of Christian discipleship is that um, we we are not static selves you know that's the promise of discipleship is that we get to change and we get to grow and so uh part of uh, I think what it means to know ourselves is to uh, increasingly recognize your patterns, uh, increasingly recognize um, kind of reactions maybe, and really uh, draw those out into the presence of God and kind of observe them in a place of of prayer. And I think, you know, particularly things like silent prayer are very um, meaningful for this type of practice is to really, or the examine or something like that, we're reflecting over our day in the presence of God. Mm. And I think those things help us really recognize Oh, this is really who I am. And this is what's important to me. Mm. And, uh, and, and just because we've discovered that not to decide, you know, we, we have a kind of fixation on our authentic selves. Yeah. Um, but actually we're invited to be changed, you know? And so there are some things we're going to discover about ourselves that we need to go, Hey, I, I need to reroute this pattern of uh, this, this habit, you know, or I need to change uh, the way I react here, and not just through a kind of forced movement of will, but through really recognizing uh, who who I am through what I've done, because, you know, the, the scriptures tell us that's how to know who we are, is mm-hmm. to look at our actions, both, you know, um, both the conscious ones that we would like people to see, and the ones, you know, where a word slips out and we go, well, I didn't mean to say that, but actually, you know, Psychoanalysis helps us realize that you mean everything you say. You just might regret some of the things you say out loud, you know. Yeah. And so, um, I think, kind of looking at that and, and recognizing, oh, I have an opportunity to reflect on my actions, mm. and actually, the invitation of Christian community is for us to invite others to reflect that to us too. Mm. And so that's where we we in you know cl- traditional senses get to confess our sins to one another. Yeah. Or, or repent, you know, publicly. We've become a bit bashful about that because, again, of our very privatized way in which we mm. understand Christian faith. Yeah. Uh, but I think if we can get those rhythms happening, so they're not as uh, terrifying, and we can, you know, bathe people in the love of God as they as they sincerely repent uh, in our midst, then we create a, a context and a culture where people feel free, uh, free to fail, and they no longer have to hide. And I think, you know, that's uh, something yeah. that is so uh so important for us is to cultivate places that don't um yeah where where when we share our you know innermost uh senses about who we are, mm. we don't demand that people accept them just because they came out of us. Yeah. You know, they're not just good because you discovered them, but to offer them to others and, and invite uh feedback and perspective mm. in a safe place that isn't going to create shame you know i think if we can uh really uh exercise shame from the context where we're living together um then i i think it it solves so many of the challenges of christian discipleship because then people aren't convinced they need to hide in order to be accepted and for me, that's the you know that's the foundational story in you know Genesis three there, yeah. where the mistake is made and there's a recognition I'm I'm naked and vulnerable, <laughs> yep. and and what uh, what's the response of the you know Adam and Eve there? They they run off and hide,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and uh, and because their anticipation is they've done done something wrong and they need to cover themselves up and hide away. Yeah. And what's God's response there? He he doesn't come with a stick looking to berate them, he's actually come searching for them and ask them questions, you know, and those Mm -hmm. are the types of rhythms I think that would really benefit life together uh, in Christian discipleship. We'll see that move forward meaningfully.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's the hidden place and trying to hide from uh, what you've done or who you are and is really something that has been detrimental to really authentic community and authentic faith in christ um and so what are some of the practices uh, that you've been implementing uh, in your life that has allowed you to open up to community and others
1: yeah you know i think um what one of the one of the challenges uh, I recognize from, again, my my kind of Western context is that we uh, we are living in an age that uh, a philosopher, Charles Taylor, called expressive individualism,
2: mm-hmm. which
1: is basically kind of this idea that um, I uh, I have a, an inner self and I need to figure out a way to work out what that is and then express it in the mm-hmm. world. And somehow yeah. my unique contribution is the most important thing that I can <laughs> offer. And I think in, in most of history, uh, people haven't looked inside to discover themselves. They've looked around them. Mm. They've looked at their community, at their children, at their the context they live in. And, and they've, they've looked at the duties that are before them, and they've looked to fulfill them. Now, mm. I, I don't think we just need to kind of go into a past and, and look at the duties around us. But I do think... Um, part of the challenge of our current age is, is this kind of fixation on expressing an inner authentic self. Mm-hmm. But I think living in community quickly teaches us that there are ways that we can orient ourselves for the benefit of others. And again, not mm-hmm. not in the kind of like, you know, codependent helper way, where we just turn yeah. ourselves out doing things for others. But we, we can really, um, you know, the, I think the foundational movement of Christian discipleship is from self-focus, to other focus, to God focus. And so increasingly we're turning out from ourselves and looking to others. And so I've looked for rhythms and practices that are not um, necessarily some kind of niche expression of my own personal preference, which is what so much of modern Christianity boils down to. But I look at how can I bind myself to the rhythms of the church more broadly, uh, but also the rhythms of the people around me so that I can live in step with them, not constantly looking to be unique, but looking to meaningfully belong and therefore offer my life um, to the people around me. And Mm -hmm. I think uh, the way that we get saved from, you know, what I mentioned earlier, which is uh, moving from self-orientation to other-orientation, to some kind of helper or codependency thing, yeah. is to recognize that we we meet God in the other person, yeah. <laughs> that we that we serve uh, Christ in the other person, and that we meet Christ in the other person as well. And so, instead of um, getting stuck in this kind of navel-gazing kind of personal discovery, we actually discover ourselves as we go. You know, we discover who we're meant to be mm. as we take the focus off ourselves and uh, turn to the practices, you know, of prayer and contemplation, and then service and sacrifice and surrender. I think those are the places that we find who we're called to be, not just who we are right now. Mm. And, um, and if we do that with, a, with an awareness of the presence of God, it's not just kind of rote religious repetition. It actually is a way to bind ourselves to the presence of God rather than just the wavering inner emotions and, you know, Mm. contrasts that we experience in our lives. And I think that is a very difficult and tempestuous life to live, the one that's just bound to my sense of well-being, rather than a life that is bound to the well-being of the kingdom of God, which is sure and victorious and something we can hold on to in hope, even when the circumstances of our lives are going up and down.
0: Well, Yeah, there's so much right now. Like if you look in the West, wellness culture is so mm. prevalent. Like how, you know, how can I make my my smoothies so that I could get all my fruits and vegetables in one little go and so that I could do <laughs> all the rest of my stuff during the day? You know, how can I look good, feel good? Um, and that wellness is all it's all self-focused. And what is the mm. well-being of, of, you know, kingdom community and the, the community around us? And Others focused. I I was woken up uh, in the middle of the night uh, a couple of nights ago, and and one of the things I heard God tell me is that He wants me to to model a different way of in a way of rhythm and rest. And uh, so, one of the things I'm trying to do right now is figure out what is that different way, and what is the way of rhythm and rest. Um, and so, I'm gonna I'm gonna use this time um, for my own. Uh, benefit of like, what are the things that you have seen? Like, what is a a rhythm and a rest in a way where it brings kingdom, kingdom life to those around you and kingdom life uh, to yourself uh, as we're connected with one another? I mean, you've been mentioning some of those things, but what do you think a, a life of rhythm and rest really looks like?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think that um, the classic, you know, Christian practices, things like Sabbath and prayer and scripture reading uh, and examine, they're not, um, they, they're, they don't work, in, which, which I want to put a kind of full <laughs> stop there. They, they don't work, and then to continue, at the speed we would like them to. You mm-hmm. know, I think we're very used to, uh, you know, the silver bullet yep. desire of the Western culture is like, find the thing that works, And then this is going to be the thing that that figures out the whole thing. And um, and you know, again, looking back in Christian history, people who were gathering together and committed communities of discipleship—they created rules of life, and uh, and they kind of bound, they entrusted themselves to the Spirit of God in those rhythms. And so I think one of the challenges for us, because um, our wider culture and then our Christian culture has. Um, kind of capitulated to this desire for the spontaneous Mm. and this desire for kind of, or, 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 you know, there's a whole publishing industry and a a whole kind of media industry based on fads that kind of continue continue to sell as an idea and then pull it back and go, no, actually it's this idea Mm. and it's keeping, you know, consumer culture moving forward, but it's not creating Christians. And so I think part of the, you know, stability even is to, is just to commit to rhythm and to uh, and to not too quickly judge whether or not they're fruitful, because you know the Christian life is this lifelong journey of transformation. Yep. And I think you know, especially when I you know when we spoke about when I was in my early twenties, I kind of had this idea, you know, probably five to seven years to be a you know a really good disciple <laughs> or something like that. You know, so, and, and you know I'm not very old, but the older I get, I, I realize. Oh, this this takes a lifetime.
2: You yeah, know, God
1: has committed to us for our life, uh, our lifetime, and you know one of the key Christian virtues is patience, and it's a, a virtue in very uh, small demand. Again, you yeah. know around the whole world, but I would say you know certainly in in the in the West, and so I think having having patience. Uh, To commit to rhythms and and you know you can reflect on them maybe after two or three years and going is this is this fruit bearing I think that would be a helpful thing but you know I think many of us are you know trying out Sabbath and then three weeks later we're like well that didn't work I'm still stressed (laughs) and tired (laughs) and uh, and so our our constant need to figure out if it's working at the speed of a microwave is really undercutting our ability to uh, live consistent and faithful lives and. And again, over time here, one of the things that I have, there are many exciting Christian gifts that people have, you know, and turn up with great splashes of charisma. Uh, But over over time, I've actually come to deeply value uh, the virtue of faithfulness, Mm. um, because I think it speaks so deeply of who God is when we both live it and when other people commit to it uh, on our behalf and um and so i think part of the this uh this rhythm and rest is just a faithfulness to it mm. and i think um because of our performance anxiety we want to figure out is it working how can i tweak it um all that kind of stuff and, and i think it would do as well sometimes to engage in some of these disciplines and just to not um analyze it from a perfor- performance perspective and yeah. just commit to it and see the slower work that it does within us yeah. rather than looking for a quick fix.
0: Yeah. I mean, how do I not analyze it as a performance? Like, I'm an Enneagram 3. Like, that's all I do. Analyze things <laughs> Am I though, winning? performance. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, performance. And I, I got to win this, <laughs> right? And so it's, yeah. it's yeah. you know, as we're going deeper into Sabbath, Meredith and I are going deeper into Sabbath and figuring out what that rhythm is in our life. And, um, mm. You know, the... The question I think right now is we we reflect on it, whether, hey, did we win that Sabbath day or not? Mm -hmm. And that's not the right uh, reflection. Um, And Mm -hmm. so we need to figure out a a reflection that would reflect the heart of God in it and not uh, our own desire to to perform well and to to be the best at something. Um, Mm -hmm. because we're definitely never going to be the best at something. But how do we reflect well is, you know, something that I need to figure out. Um, You mentioned and, you know, talking about rhythm and rest, you mentioned that people created a a rule of life around things. Um, What does that look like? Um, What is that rule of life and how can we structure that um, in our lives? Yeah, so
1: I think the reason why a rule of life was was developed was to uh, kind of make some difficult countercultural decisions to live with a commitment to living under Christ's lordship in in actual practiced obedience. You know, yeah. in, in in literally the way that we spend our time. And I think you know the two core um, resources we have as human beings is time and attention. And so, uh, thinking about you know how are we spending our time, and what are we giving our attention to, and then calling all of the things that are in that basket of resources under the lordship of Jesus, and going, okay, what is taking away my attention? You know, so um, I remember having a great conversation with Meredith about this actually when we were uh, together a few years ago. You know, the the, the, the contrast between self care and self comfort. You know, we can mm. work really hard and then collapse into, you know, a lazy boy couch and watch yeah. three hours of Netflix and feel like we deserve <laughs> it or we earned it, you know. Yeah. And uh, and actually those kind of oscillating patterns of overwork and then over self-comfort yeah. are really destructive because they're, they're really tr- just feeding uh, a, a sense of uh, self that really isn't yielded meaningfully to God. Hmm. And so I, I think um, part of the way in which we... Uh, you know, find these rhythms and rests is is looking at, you know, where where is my time spent and and what's my perspective on time? You know, because uh, obviously, after two thousand years of uh, Jesus uh, resurrecting and ascending and saying I'll be back, his sense of time and the need for speed is not in coordination <laughs> with ours. That's right. <laughs> and so, uh, much of our work that we're you know passionate about and committed to. Uh, it is actually long term work. And I think, again, sometimes we're convinced that if we if we work faster, um, things will come together quicker. But again, uh, you know, I have a, a, a great uh, friend called Chris Hall, who's a, a, a professor who was at Eastern uh, University is now uh, working with Renovari. But he, he has this phrase that he says, you know, human growth uh, is the slowest. Uh, sorry, spiritual growth is the slowest of all human movements. Mm. and uh, i think part of our lives need to uh, recognize the speed of of growth there is a uh, a slow kind of bending out to gaze upon god more fully and and the way that we spend our time uh, can create this inner hurry that is really an enemy to us uh experiencing the presence of god because we're so scattered and busy on the inside and so even if we try and fix that with a sabbath you know the very pace of our monday to saturday yeah. can rob us of really any chance of receiving the gift of presence on a sabbath because again we're just kind of collapsing into a heap uh, rather than being able to have the still have some energy and resource to attend to the presence of god in our family and in our household and you know however yeah. however we spend that day and so that you know the second thing of attention is is really figuring out you know what what types of activities do I have to do in my day to uh, increasingly sustain a consistent sense of the presence of God with me? And so, um, you know, again, these original monastic communities that they put in place uh, uh, five times a prayer a day and and three of those, you know, would be morning, uh, lunchtime, and evening is how most moderns would kind of pick those up. You know, the, 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 the ones in the middle of the night are a bit more difficult if you're not living a truly monastic life. Although if you have young children, then you maybe get them without asking for
0: them. <laughs> That's right.
1: But, um, but I think trying to figure out just some, um, some simple disciplines and figuring out, hey, what, what is helping me sustain a sense of attention uh, on the presence of God so that we can live the type of life that Jesus modeled for us, which is I'm only doing what I see the Father doing. Mm. and uh, and I think we often just want to achieve way more than the Father wants for us in a yeah. given day. Mm. And uh, and part of the yielding is just opening our hands um, to our limitedness um, because it, 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 mm. we, you know, an, another uh, great thing that I uh, re- received from a friend in YWAM here, he was talking about, that, you know, the reality of human life mm-hmm. is that uh, we're all gifted, and I think there's lots of ways in Christian communities we seek to um, look at one of those giftings and, and operate in those, which is fantastic. Yeah. Um, and then maybe another section of the church focuses a bit more uh, clearly on our brokenness, you know, what's wrong yeah. with us, <laughs> what's gone wrong. And uh, and of course that needs our attention and our awareness as well to, to live fully yeah. in the light of Christ. Uh, but thirdly, our, our limitedness is another, you know, foundational reality to who we are. We're, we're limited. We're not God. You know, the first <laughs> sa- the first day humans experience on the earth, is the sabbath day after the lord has finished the work you know they're welcomed into his rest before they engage Mm. in any partnership in the work that they're called to and i think um, a recognition of our limitedness again in this kind of uh, 21st century where we're just bombarded with pace of information and news and demands for levels of work and productivity um, we need to disconnect productivity and fruitfulness because they're not the same thing, you know. And I, I think mm. finding a pace where we can be fruitful, which means to abide, to to know mm. that we're in the vine in every act of our work. I think those are the types of rhythms uh, that we need to figure out in order to have a rule of life that can yeah. sustain
0: us living fruitfully. Can you flesh that out a little bit uh, for me, the difference between productivity and fruitfulness?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, the, the, the fruits of the spirit are actually overflows of uh, spirit-grown uh, virtues in our lives. You know, yeah. um, uh, the, the the fruits of the spirit are uh, things that you really cannot muster in, with willpower alone. You know, they're not just kind of work hard or, you know, kind of bend your will. There's always going to be at some point where love or patience or kindness is just going to be too costly and it's e- easier to go the way of the world, you know, and, and, and to, to not, uh, engage those virtues. And they're also virtues that if they flow out of our hearts, which mean they, they have yeah. integrity and the spirit of God has planted them meaningfully, um, mm-hmm. that, that takes time. Again, that's, that's a life's work. Yeah. Um, and I think often productivity, uh, is fixated on outcomes and yeah. the fruits of the spirits are really things that happen in the midst of the process. And, uh, that th- there are, uh, ways in which uh, we work um, that might have outcomes that we would like to call good kingdom outcomes, but the ways we got there were thoroughly unmarked by the ways of Jesus. And I think a lot of contemporary Christianity, you know, the moral failures that we're seeing in, in church leadership and 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 in lots of other contexts, yeah. those, those, in my opinion, are, are because you know, the church has increasingly relied on business models and methodologies right. that fixate on productivity and outcomes, rather than saying, "Hey, it really is the way we get there. It's it's all in that." You know, when Jesus says, "How are people going to know you're my disciples?" He says, "It's by your love for one another," and that's what happens on the way. Yeah, it's it's by the quality of the relationship that comes together to pursue the task. It's not that we just kind of, mm. you know stand in a circle and rub each other's backs, we really do get on with partnering with God in mission and going somewhere. But the way we do it is almost as important, uh, if not, maybe it is as important as where we arrive to, because the outcomes of so many of the things we're longing for are not humanly achievable goals. They're things that we're longing to partner with Holy Spirit, who's already active in the world, Mm. but only God can do the outcomes that we're longing for. And so, yep. what does it mean for God to dwell amongst us? It means to to dwell with fruitfulness, with the fruits of the Spirit alive amongst our life together, um, rather than just aiming on outcomes and ticking off task lists and to do lists and all those types of things.
0: Mm. Yeah, that's that's fascinating to me. I think one of the things I'm thinking in the middle of it is, you know, like an apple tree or some some tree that. Apple trees take a couple of years to start to bear fruit. I mean that if once you mm-hmm. plant them, they take a long time. Maybe year three, mm-hmm. they're going to start to to bear some fruit that you could actually eat. So we are like that tree, and it's gonna take it's gonna take years and a lifetime mm-hmm. to to walk out uh, that fruitfulness to get really good fruit. And you know, if I'm thinking, you know, this podcast is called Shifting Culture, it's because we're we're trying to figure out how to to bring kingdom life and kingdom culture somewhere instead of this non-kingdom culture. And, you know, I think, you know, what you're saying sounds a little subversive. It sounds a little like, you know, well, something we don't think about much because we think about, hey, I have my silver bullet. I want to get this done. And it's we're going to be able to to transform culture this way. Um, But it's subversive. It's the the death that brings fruitfulness and life. Mm-hmm. Um, it's that, you know, I've mentioned it a couple times, but John twelve twenty four. unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, mm-hmm. it remains mm-hmm. alone. But if it dies, mm-hmm. it bears much fruit. Um, yeah. And that's, to me, it's like, hey, if I want productivity by myself, mm-hmm. I'm going to remain alone and mm-hmm. I'm not going to bear any yeah. fruit. But if I die to mm-hmm. that, I'm actually going to bear fruit um, and that fruitfulness <laughs> in our lives. I love that. Yeah.
1: You know, I, I think that's so, uh, so key. And, and, and I, you know, as I'm sure you've experienced, you know, uh, in our 12 years here, so many of our good ideas and dreams and ministry goals, you know, just fell into the ground and died. You know, so yeah. many of the things we placed our hope in. And I, I think um, part of the Christian life, again, is, is to uh, learn where to place our hope mm. and, and and so I think often uh, even you know good things that could be biblically defensible dreams, uh, God is comfortable enough to let die to convince us to take hold of his resurrection life and place our hopes and dreams in his future come present through our work with the Holy Spirit, and Jesus is always using. Uh, these organic and agricultural metaphors,
2: yeah. and
1: uh, I'm I'm not convinced that if he turned up today, he would start using you know factory and uh, assembly line metaphors, you know, because mm. I think there's something uh, creational uh, that yeah. God created in in the agricultural organic world that has a pace to it, uh, that has a resistance to it, mm. uh, and you know, as I'm kind of like tending my lawn and realizing this is slow work I, I, i'm not going to yeah. get a uh, you know a, a, the garden i'm dream dreaming of for five to seven years yeah and, and and that doesn't mean i just sit back and watch it grow for five to seven years i have to be doing stuff pretty much every week and every season yep. to cultivate that and i think those types of perspectives on um discipleship and growth and i think the same for you know even shifting cultures within organizations to uh again not to be lackluster about it but to recognize hey it takes time for change to happen if you're going to do it in ways that love and care for people meaningfully and not just kind of wrench the wheel and Mm. lose half the people out the window of the bus or something you know (laughs) which is i think often how organizational change happens is like the task before the people yeah
0: Um, yeah so yeah i've enjoyed gardening That's good. We definitely don't want the task before the people. We don't want to run uh, over people uh, with our bus. Mm -hmm. Uh, We, uh, if you could uh, go back a couple of these last questions, if you go back to your 21 year old self, uh, what advice would you give to yourself?
1: You know, sometimes I, I, you kind of look back and you see the kindness and goodness of God in your life. Yeah. And so I almost feel like I wouldn't want to derail myself from any of the lessons even <laughs> if they were hard ones <laughs> by shortcutting yep. it with some with, with some kind of short pieces of wisdom that might allow me just to hop that because I I I am also increasingly convinced that you know we are called to follow Christ and the shape of that calling is uh is to bear our cross you know is mm-hmm. to, is to mm-hmm. carry our cross and it's a cruciform shape and um you know i've 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 not had lots of success in my life i'll be honest you know i, I heard somebody say i am an expert in failure and i thought yeah i can sign up for that you know but uh, uh, i've not had a lot of success in my life but the success i i would say i have had has not taught me that much mm. um, but the the failures in my life i, yeah. I realized you know, those things they they mark me you know they they mm. mark me even as the pains that they were um, but just like the resurrected Christ in, in the power of God's presence and his healing and his resurrection power, I can now bear the wounds of those failures and those sufferings mm. in ways that are uh, signs of redemption, and signs of newness of life. Mm. So, I mean, I really dodged your question there, but I. Well, uh, I think I, really I don't realized... know.
0: I think you, you <laughs> answered it. I think the, the advice you would give is to embrace your failure as you're walking mm. the road with Jesus. Um and yeah. I think that's, yeah. uh, it's so important for us to, to hear and to know, to embrace our mm-hmm. failures. Um, and those are the things that there's life in that. We also, we, yeah. you know, we often think that that's, you know, that's death and that's mm-hmm. failure. That's something where we uh, haven't, you know, in my language, we haven't performed in a way mm-hmm. that we needed to perform. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, yeah. Jesus brings life in the midst of that failure. Um, and, yeah, You know, he... Ultimately, you know, we thought the disciples thought that Jesus failed, you know, when he died mm-hmm. on the mm-hmm. cross and then he brought that yeah. resurrection um, that he defeated that death. And so we get to learn that mm-hmm. and we get to live out a little inkling of that every time that we fail, mm-hmm. we get to say, yeah. you know, there's this death, but there mm-hmm. is some, you know, resurrection and redemption that happens in the midst of it. So I think that's great advice. Good job.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you know, as as you're speaking as well, uh, Joshua, I I realized I would, I I think uh, one of the challenges in those years of, uh, in your twenties is, is is not being convinced somehow that you are deeply beloved of God. And I think
2: Mm. that
1: actually is something that um, so many of the, the challenges and the missteps in ministry, I yeah. think, come from uh, deep-seated roots of people not quite being sure that they're deeply beloved of God before they even engage in you know, a missional calling or engage in, mm. in doing something for God, yeah. that God delights to be with them. Just being uh, deeply convinced of God's love for me and for the people around me, um, I think it just transforms so many of the dynamics that make ministry sometimes so hard, yeah, uh, is is when we haven't really uh, rooted ourselves in
0: that. Yeah, yeah, that's so good. Uh, anything you've been reading or watching lately that you could recommend?
1: Oh, wow! Well, you really asked the question now, Josh. I know. Um, so now
0: <laughs> this could be the whole podcast right now.
1: <laughs> just, just give me a give me a niche, give me an avenue. Uh, so what, what kind of? Uh,
0: what what's oh. something what's something that you've read lately that was like uh an aha for you that like surprised mm. you you didn't you didn't realize it you didn't think about it before and it was it was surprising
1: yeah so th- there's a there's a book uh by uh, an American uh theologian called uh, andrew root who has uh, been engaged in uh, kind of youth ministry and youth evangelism mm-hmm. in the u.s actually and uh, he's writing a series of books but the one i just read was called faith formation in a secular age mm. and uh, he you know parts of the book are, are reasonably dense but he does an extraordinarily lucid job of uh, explaining the the movements in western culture that have made uh, are have have shaped faith you know we, we're always yeah. somewhat a product of our culture and, and faith is obviously irreducibly transmitted in the midst of our culture but i think it was very clarifying for me to um just recognize well discipleship in our age has some really uh particular challenges as well as some extraordinary opportunities and i think so often um you know and i maybe i've spoken that way on this uh, podcast a little bit kind of rating Western culture as, you know, this kind of post-Christian <laughs> wasteland. But there, I, I truly believe God is at work and, and drawing yeah. people uh, in, in lots of ways. And we have some extraordinary opportunities to have, you know, as Leslie Newbigan called it, a, a missionary encounter with the West to really mm-hmm. meet our neighbors in some transformational ways and recognize the spiritual hunger that is at work and, um, and really offer them the, an opportunity to uh, come into relationship with the God who has made and loves them, and uh, is is it has not been evacuated by the seeming secularism that surrounds them.
0: Yeah, that's go- that's, that's a great. Good one. Yeah. You uh, just just give me give me a just a a few a few books you're reading reading on off off the top of your head. Like what are something that people should just dig into.
1: Uh, I I recently, uh, with the uh, master's degree that uh, we're helping staff, read a a book called The Divine Embrace uh, by uh, a a theologian who's now passed away called Robert Weber. Uh, He Mm. was at Wheaton, and it really is a a story of how uh, different seasons of the church changed the ways uh, through um, engagement with their culture. They, They changed their practices in ways that Really, we we lost something from the days of those early Jesus followers. Something that the, a holism they had at different times and periods. We, we we've kind of jettisoned one thing or another. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes with good reason, you know. So you think about something like the Reformation. There, there was a reaction to, to a great difficulty that was happening in the church. Yeah. Um, but now we're not in that same period of history, and so potentially that reaction was an overreaction. We can yep. we can. Return to some things. So that was a great book, uh, "The Divine Embrace" mm. uh, by Robert Weber. Um, there's a fantastic uh, short book. Uh, I've, I've read it a couple of times now. It's only 150 pages or something, uh, but it's uh, it's by an Australian theologian called Ben Myers. Uh, he mm. wrote a book, uh, a, a introduction to the Apostles' Creed, which again sounds very like mm. maybe liturgical <laughs> and and kind yeah. of Anglican for maybe most of your listeners. Uh, but it was uh, it's a fantastic. Job of reflecting on how the church came together um, to really, uh, you know, the Apostles' Creed is is interesting because unlike any of the following creeds, which all just popped up out of a, a desire to uh, push back against some heresies, so the Nicene Creed was to put, push back against Arianism. You know, the mm-hmm. Apostles' Creed is the earliest creed, and it's probably the most widely used in worship services across denominations and nations around the world. So it's a, uh, you know, a, and, and it really is a uh, a creed that just tells the story of God uh, hmm. from uh, and tells the story of Christ, and so he he does a wonderful job at bringing up some ancient church thinkers in very accessible ways. And I think you know we could do a lot worse than looking back to the early church and hearing some of their wisdom, because some of the you know pluralism and gnosticism <laughs> that they were swimming in is is not that different, not that far away from from the cultures and contexts we live in now.
0: Yeah, well thank you for a, a few of those and I know that you know if anybody wants to know more of Liam's recommendations they can su- subscribe to uh the Lectio letter that you that you That'd write be great. Yeah. and uh you Thanks. you give some some things things that you've been been reading and and listening to mm-hmm. and they're great recommendations and uh what you write in there is really always thought provoking and you know thank you Liam you know today Every time I talk to you I, I come away with a with a desire to live more intentionally um, and that's mm-hmm. the, the biggest thing that I get every time I talk to you um, and so thank you for, for that and again I'm coming away from this to live uh, a more intentional life with Jesus um, to put away my productivity lens and uh, mm-hmm. to live in a, a fruitful way with with christ and so thank you for that and uh it was a it was a privilege uh and it's always fun to talk to you
1: yeah well thank you joshua your and meredith's friendship have been such a blessing to to our lives so
0: the the appreciation is mutual <laughs> that's great well give my love to rachel um and hope to see you in person soon
1: yes we pray <laughs> we pray yeah very good